I'm Michael Kist of Bleeding Green Nation, and I invite you, gentle listener, to join us for the best analysis of the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles in the business. BGN Radio provides you with the most informative preview shows, and the Kist and Solak show dives deep into all the scheme and X and O details you could ever want. Plus discussions with the industry's brightest minds, including former NFL players and press conferences from the Eagles coaching staff to keep you up to date and informed every step of the way. Subscribe to Bleeding Green Nation today. Fly, Eagles, fly. This is the Stepover Pod with Jim Adair and Max Rappaport. Keep the conversation going on Twitter at the Stepover Pod and on Facebook at the Stepover Podcast. Now, let's talk Sixers. Hello and welcome to episode 66 of the Stepover Pod. Uh, now that the Sixers have finally broken our trust by trading away a guy that people liked in college, uh, this is solely a Westworld recap pod uh, now. Uh, so Max, how you doing? Good. I won't. I won't spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. Yeah, Max we and I actually just talked about it before. Uh, before we came on. Yeah, I will. I will say this: that uh, I was just now able to watch the finale. If if no one cares about Westworld, no one cares. But um, I wasn't able to watch the finale when it aired, and the, my first uh, bit of any information about it was a text from Max that just said, "Yo, fuck Westworld." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so, you know, we, we haven't talked to you guys in a couple of weeks, and obviously the draft happened, and we're basically right on the uh, the, the couple-day lead-up into free agency. So we figured the best way to handle a bunch of the stuff that's going on right now is basically just turn it over to you guys and answer a ton of questions. Um, so, Max, should we just start it right on off? Yeah, yeah, let's start it out. Um, All right. So Beeston asked, um, now that we saw the results of the Lakers pick, uh, Zaire Smith and the 2021 Miami unprotected pick. Uh, are we happy it conveyed this year? Or would we rather it have been in years past? Which I think is an interesting question because I think on its face you'd say like it ended up being 10 in a, what was a good class, but 10. Um, would you rather have had it land at four or five or six or, you know, whatever in one of those previous years? I think obviously like, the equations changed a lot by the by it not being Mikhail Bridges and instead being Smith and the pick. Um, what do you think, Jim? Well, I think it really it's it's kind of weird because it can't be judged in a vacuum because say it convert it came in at four in a different year, um, you don't know if that would be a pick that was used or traded, or if the pick came in at four, then the Sixers trade their own pick. Um, it does seem like the the uh, the kind of you know soft consensus with people is that the point of getting the twenty twenty one Heat pick was not to use it. Uh, but instead to trade it in some way. Uh, so in a way that also kind of adds a, another extra layer of context uh, onto what this all could have possibly meant. Obviously, if that pick is part of a package to get Kawhi, I think you probably say um, that it was good that it conveyed this year and not other years. But again, we don't know it. You know, if it conveyed at four and they were looking to trade Maybe say last year they trade for Paul George. Then, uh, you know, if he was, if that's something that was available on the table, and you know, we don't really know everything that was on the table, kind of behind the scenes. Um, I am currently, I'd say, satisfied with where it turned out and what the uh, the results of it were, uh, with an ability to upgrade that to happy, seeing as what actually happens with that twenty twenty one Heat pick. I think, too, a part of the equation has to be that 2015, 16, and 17, a little bit less so with 17, but really with all three of those drafts, and you go back and look, 
Like, there was not a lot of talent outside the protection. So in right. 2015, it was top five protected. Uh, six, seven, and eight in that draft were Willie Cauley-Stein, Emmanuel Moutier, and Stanley Johnson. Um, you look in 2016 when it was top three protected. At four, you have Dragon Bender. At five, you have Chris Dunn. At six, you have Buddy Heald. Then you get Jamal Murray at seven. Um, in 2017, outside outside the top three, again, you have Josh Jackson at four, De'Aaron Fox, Jonathan Isaac, Laurie Markinen would be nice, yeah. uh, Tilakina, Dennis Smith. Like, Obviously, the Sixers could have drafted like Donovan Mitchell fifth or something if they got it last year, but thinking they would probably, you know, if you look at those drafts, it's like they probably draft Emmanuel Moutier six um, in 2015. They probably draft, you know, Chris Dunn, uh, or, or Buddy Heald, or Dragon Bender, fourth. And then in 2017, if they had the fourth pick, it's probably Josh Jackson, which, you know, I, I'd probably rather have Zaire Smith in the unprotected pick than Josh Jackson right now. Right. The only thing I can possibly think of where you would slot it in, was it was it 2015? Was 2015 the year Justice Winslow was picked? He was. Yeah, he may have been the pick because he was the 10th pick that year. Right, but um, wasn't there the story that at 9... Um, there was an offer of like four or five future firsts for the nine pick to get Winslow. And then Michael Jordan said, no, thank you. Uh, we'll take Frank the tank here instead. Now, now so we're into like, now we're into like butterfly wing stuff, you know? Like, right. But I'm saying, you know, if, if, if the, if the Lakers pick was in that nine spot instead and that, that deal came calling, then that deal is probably better than what you got for the 10 pick this year. I, that's I guess, the only thing I, I guess could possibly this... think of. I guess all this to say it's pretty it's pretty difficult to really compare because yeah. we're comparing it based on a, a trade that we have no idea they could have or could not have gotten a better offer in any of those three years. But mm-hmm. um, I think at the end of the day, like coming away with another unprotected pick that you can use in a trade and Zaire Smith, who we'll talk about uh, in a little bit, you know, I, I feel pretty good about that um, for MCW and, and even with M- what MCW was at the time of the trade. I think that trade ended up being pretty decent after looking for a little bit like it might be kind of disastrous not disastrous because yeah. you're losing mcw but you thought for a little bit the lakers might finish like you know eke into a playoff there were all those years where we thought they might sign a free agent and they never did yeah. um and there was a chance that you really missed out on a on a high level uh asset with that pick but it ended up being fine yeah i agree uh b fox asked what's the over under for a gm hire date that's interesting um so you figure free agency starts on the first. You haven't even heard any rumblings of them bringing anybody in to talk to anybody. So the idea seems to be that they're going to go into free agency without one. Uh, at that point, the most important days of free agency are most likely going to be the first four to five days. So you figure if you don't have one on day one, you're not going to rush to get one by day five. I would probably put the over-under date at the hiring of a GM around let's say like july 11th hmm. that's interesting because I, I my thinking was if they don't have it well i i'm like not even considering the possibility that unless it's them promoting eversley or someone or ned cohen or whatever it's not going to be before july 1st which is in three four days five days um my thinking was at that point it, they're going to go at that point, there's no urgency, right? Like, you're going to make your whatever moves you make in the offseason. Uh, the only thing would be, like, what you think about your, your summer league guys or potentially trades that you could make in August or September. I'm kind of thinking, like, a couple weeks before free agency. Or, I'm, I'm sorry, before um, training camp. 
is kind of my my over under. It's like I I think there's almost a chance that if they go into this summer and don't have a, a GM um, and whether they make a big move or a big splashy signing or not, um, if they don't have someone by the end of that, and let's say they let's say they make some sort of move, whether it's signing Paul George or LeBron or trading for Kawhi, like at, at that point, do you do you kind of just like roll with what you got and and kind of do an interim thing until you find the right guy? Like, is there a reason that you need to have someone on day one of the season if you're going to wait this long anyway and you know, they think they can attract someone better next summer. It's almost like um, when you when a GM first comes in and all the scouts and assistants and all those people stay the same for, like, one season and then you mm-hmm. just kind of clear house. Like, is it possible they'll just push it down the line? I'm almost thinking, like, it's either going to happen right before uh, – it's either going to happen, like, August, September, or it's just kind of not going to happen for a while and they're just going to, like, roll with what they have because it doesn't really matter. Once I think certainly. Season. I think certainly, if they trade for Kawhi, for example, if they make some kind of big trade, then I think that probably increases the chances that it's an internal hire. Because I can, I can already see the Woj tweet in my head. It's like let's use Eversley for an example, right? It's like you know the Sixers have announced that they're going to hire Mark Eversley to, uh, as the, their new GM. Eversley was the architect of the trade that brought Kawhi Leonard in. Blah, blah, blah. Because if you're going to have somebody kind of put that whole thing together, then that they're probably going to be the guy that you're going to want to build the rest of the team going forward too. But if they just bring in a mid-level free agent, or even if they bring in LeBron, which really is just like, okay, here's all of our money. Um, I don't think that that's something where you necessarily have like, you had an internal person that has like earned that, earned that job. So in that case, I could definitely see it taking a while, but I still feel like they'll do something kind of in the middle of the free agency thing after either they've made a big move or it's obvious that they're not going to then they can kind of like move on to, to filling that spot. Yeah. In my mind, it was almost like when they, when, when Doug Collins left, you had that year of uh, DeLeo and I, I can't remember if Thorne was still there, but it was like, but basically DeLeo became the GM and that felt at the time, like, yeah, he might be the GM for a while or like they're just kind of riding it out with what they got for right. for a year or two and then they'll make a move, which they ended up doing after the Bynum trade. But, um, you know, it, it kind of to me is like if you don't get the guy you want this summer uh, for whatever reason, either they're under contract somewhere else for another year or they're not ready to make a move or whatever it is. Um, I kind of don't think it's the worst thing in the world, especially if you've already made a big move. Uh, and kind of cemented your roster for the season to like just kind of wait and just roll with Eversley and and Brett Brown kind of being. I, I still kind of think I'd like to see Brett Brown um, not be like the president of basketball ops necessarily, but have more of a Popovich or um, I guess Stevens has that a little bit in Boston. Like have that kind of role where he is able to have more of a say in what they're doing, especially as the team gets into this phase where they're less focused on the future, more focused on building the team. Like I kind of want him to have more of a role in the front office anyway. I'm fine with that. I just don't want to, the, the co, you know, the, the, the doc rivers, uh, Stan yeah. and Gundy move that never works I, out. I kind of don't think it would be that anyway. Like, I, no, think I don't think so either. I, I would see it, I guess more in the Popovich mold where, where pop is clearly has a huge influence in, in who they draft and the kind of trades they make and whatever, but he's not, facilitating any of that right um all right i guess moving on kevin gillespie asked uh 
There are a lot of shooting guard free agents this summer. Out of J.J. Redick, Will Barton, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Wayne Ellington, and Avery Bradley, who are we most interested in? Maybe we could like kind of rank those or, or name a few that we're actually interested in giving uh, reasonable contracts to, like not just one years. Yeah. Um, I think Redick, you saw what you can get out of him, and you saw how he fits with the team so well. So I think getting the getting JJ to come back here on the with the right numbers is probably priority number one among those guys. Um, I do like Will Barton, uh, Avery Bradley. I think is going to cost you more probably. Yeah. Um, and if you're gonna if you're trying to bring in like a LeBron or a Paul George. I think you, it you know the 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 consensus kind of seems that like JJ would probably be willing to take, you know, less money up front, whether it be like a one year deal and then resigns for longer and more money after that, or because they gave him twenty three million dollars last year, it's kind of like a, a handshake deal or whatever. Um, so I would put Bradley third just because of the amount of money he would cost you if you're also trying to bring somebody else in, and then I keep seeing I do keep seeing Wayne Ellington's name brought up. And I'm just not really interested in that. Mm. And to be honest with you, the same with, with KCP. I like KCP as a player. Um, but I'm just, he, just doesn't, he doesn't really move the needle much for me. Um, I'm not entirely sure why. I can't put my finger on it. But he just doesn't really do anything for me. Yeah, I, I think it'll cost a little bit more too is the thought. He will, yeah. Like I, I think of those guys probably in order of how much they'll cost. Um I'd say like Avery Bradley and and Redick and KCP are on one level, and then probably Will Barden's a little below that, and then Wayne Ellington's at the lowest. Yeah, Mark, I'm probably most interested. I mean, I think I'm most interested in bringing JJ back, obviously. Um, but if if say they are able to get Paul George or LeBron or trade for Kawhi or whatever, they some of their cap space gets eaten up by by some star player. Um, I'm more interested in bringing back bringing in like Wayne Ellington or maybe even bring back Marco Bellinelli. Uh, that I am giving like a longer deal to um, Will Barton, or let's say, like I sure. or, or Avery Bradley. I could rather try to sign Ellington or Marco Bellinelli to a small, shorter, maybe a one or two year deal. Um, I think the ideal is bring back Redick on like a more team friendly. Like if LeBron comes or Paul George or whatever, to try to get Redick back on something that's like two years twenty. Five million, or you know, something right. that kind of takes into account how much money he got from the team this past season. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say, I was pretty bummed out listening to uh, the Dunked On podcast. Did um, Dunked On Basketball did a mock off season, uh, which they do every year, and uh, they between the two of them who hosted Danny and and uh, Nate Duncan, and then they had Kevin Pelton come on, and they each take ten teams and kind of run through the off season and make offers and like. Um, basically like, do a full mock, mock off season. The Sixers ended up uh, striking out on everyone. Kawhi didn't get traded, and then the Sixers were forced to give J.J. Redick a one-year max deal just to eat up the, cal- the salary cap, right. uh, which was a real bummer just yeah. listening to that all unfold. But also at the same so point. Hopefully I mean, that doesn't happen. That's essentially a team that won 52 games last year, and J.J.'s a year older, but Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and Dario Saric are you're a year older and better and Markel Fultz will hopefully be some shade of Markel Fultz as before. So I, as, as the further we get closer to the start of free agency and it does seem to me that striking out is the more, the most likely outcome anymore. Uh, it's not 
a bad outcome necessarily. Yeah, I think it, at the end of the day, it's not it's not terrible. I just with everything that's all the excitement we have at this point. If you just came away with like throwing another huge one year deal at JJ Redick, I'd be pretty pretty bummed by that. I mean, I think they'll be fine, but uh, I think at this point you're seeing what the Celtics are and how loaded they are, and and feeling like we need to do something in that arms race. Yeah. Um, at Rowley Tells asked, uh, "What is the percent chance that that Bolden comes over?" this year i I think it's a hundred percent yeah it seems pretty high it seems like pretty high he he is like he's tweeted some stuff um there was some like reporting that that was going to happen the team seems to want him and makes sense he's out of his contract at this point with with um uh maccabee and i I think he fits also he's back he can play backup five play some four i think he takes like basically all over sean holmes's minutes uh, sadly for Rashawn Holmes, I love him. Yeah. But I think I think he'll definitely come over, and I think he'll play. Uh, should is, assuming he's what we think he is, or at least some semblance of that, I think he'll actually have a role in the team his first year too. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, Brian Colangelo before he left had seemed to mention a couple of times how likely it seemed that Bolden was would come over or was ready to come over or something along those lines. And it seems unlikely that he was the only one in the front office who thinks that. And now that he's gone, it won't happen. Mm-hmm. So I think it's pretty much a lock to happen. Yeah. Um, Dan, I thought this was a really good question. Uh, Dan Dugan asked, uh, what would you say are our worst Sixers takes we've ever had? Um, the one that has aged the most poorly. Uh, he said, besides my Okafor take, I think is a, a good qualifier for that. And the okay. Okafor take was that, Multiple times I just thought that Okafor would, like, the green light would turn on and he'd figure it out in some yeah. some way. But that never happened, obviously. I said the day before the 2014 draft, when I was high on MCW and high on Nerlens, and I thought this team was going to start kind of putting it together then, that probably the worst thing the Sixers could have done was draft... Embiid and then Sharich, considering neither of them would impact the team in the next year or maybe two. And then after they made both of those picks that very night, the next day I was like, okay, I get it. I see what they're doing. I know you can't pass up on on talent like that. Um, but it didn't seem... like I think for me what it was is, even with Hinky and even with the process, it seemed unlikely to me that they would, seeing the excitement around it and stuff like that, that they would still just go, no, fuck that longest view in the room is is what we're Man, doing you were you're a regular hoops critic yeah that take well i didn't it's not even it's not even that it was something that i didn't think they should do it's something i didn't think they would do and i was obviously wrong and it the team is better for it and stuff like that but i just thought like i, I think at that point we were still fairly early in the process and i didn't realize how like dead set on like I don't give a shit about immediate success. We're doing this for the long game. Like how like real hard as nails Hinky was on that. And that's what showed me that. So yeah. I think that was pro- like my worst probably like on court take is that like I think I like really legitimately thought KJ McDaniels would be like a an NBA contributor. Um but other than that, I think it's pretty much because there was I mean, if you think about it too. For a lot of years there, unless you really like were carrying water for someone that stunk, 
it was hard to have a really, really bad take because it was so obvious that so many of those players were trash. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I think as I was thinking about mine, um, probably the, the biggest one, the one I get the most grief for is that I had Jason Tatum, I think eighth on my big board last year uh, and just chat on him basically is probably not as much as I, I shot on Marvin Bagley leading into this draft. And I, I kind of knowing that that happened with Tatum last year, really leaned into it with Bagley a little bit right. more. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff. I really hope Bagley isn't good because I'm going to, I'm going to really get it. Uh, if he is, but the Tatum stuff was really bad. I had a lot of really bad takes about Tatum and probably other than that. Um, I remember tweeting, uh, Oh, here's what it was. Yeah, I pulled up the tweet because I wanted to know exactly what it was. On November 16th of this past year, so 2017, uh, I tweeted, TLC has been low-key awesome this year. And this is about two and a half weeks into the season. And he had not been awesome. Right. I just felt like he had. He showed a few flashes. And at the time, his numbers were garbage. And his like, advanced numbers were terrible. And a bunch of people told me I was wrong about that. And uh, they were right. There was he was very much not awesome this past season. There was a stretch in the year when he started that he was playing like semi consistent minutes and was like doing actually fairly well for like a week and a half, but it wasn't when you tweeted that. No. It was like a month after that. I don't know why I I don't know what it was. I guess he had like a couple nice plays in a row and I just like got my blinders on, my yeah. my rose colored TLC glasses. Yep. I really, I had him six. That was another really bad one. I think I had him six on my big board the year he got drafted. Yeah. So when they got him at 24 or whatever, I was pretty pumped. Uh, but that did not turn out well. No. At least I so think, far. I think maybe, we maybe were, turn it on this year. I think we were all blinded by the uniforms. Yeah. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll have to write another, uh, I don't give up on TLC article that everyone can retweet. Yeah. Years from now. There you go. Um, Jacob Gladden asked, outside of uh, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and LeBron James, are there any other star players we would package some of our young guys for in the Heat pick? Uh, For example, maybe Carl Anthony Towns, since he seems to want out. I don't know about that. Uh, Or maybe CJ McCollum. I I would say no to the Towns thing. I don't think Towns actually goes anywhere. Um, I was thinking there's some redundancy. Too. Yeah, definitely. Um, like even if he plays the four next Embiid, I just think it's offensively. You're, you're, how much can you realistically run the offense through those two guys? Right. Um, I think, I think CD is an interesting thing. I think you would probably have to overpay for CJ because as much as the Trailblazers need to split that up and figure out what to do, I don't think they're going to. I think they're going to just like be stubborn and just let the ship sink and then either lose Dame and CJ or one of them or have to give somebody up for nothing um, in like three years or whatever. I I think it's, yeah, I I think it's tough too, because if, if Markel Fultz and I I really don't want to trade Markel Fultz, but in a trade like that, if Markel Fultz played a different position, uh, I could see there being an easier way to swap a Fultz level prospect who was a small forward, let's say, with, let's say he was Josh Jackson or something, with uh, the Blazers to get McCollum. They free up that, that guard logjam they have or ball handler logjam they have with McCollum and, and Lillard. The problem is that you're giving them a guy in Fultz who does exactly the same stuff right. uh, that you're trying to 
just worse at it right now um is you're not really freeing that up at all and then other than that i don't really see what the sixers can give i mean they can give like the miami pick they can give their own pick um they can give covington and charge but i just don't know if that's really what the blazers want right now like they, right. i think they either need a piece that's like a, an all-in like big prospect or pick or they need like um some win now stuff that just right. fits better and we don't really have that covington would be the closest thing but mccollum's significantly better than yeah covington. I, I mean i'd be i would i would love to to add cj mccollum i just don't know what that deal would even resemble like i don't i don't even know where to begin with what a cj mccollum trade this offseason would actually look like I do feel more and more that I guess speaking to this question, I do feel more and more like if they strike out in free agency and a a trade for another star isn't immediately available, that makes sense. I'm fine just waiting, like yeah. just sign some one year guys. Like I don't know if wait by waiting, I don't know if I mean free agency next year, but just wait because every year there inevitably are some guys who their teams underperform. There's a log jam um, for whatever reason they want out. It seems like you know financially it's not going to work with uh keep it like you know a team like the warriors it's like are they going to be able to keep everyone together like i just would rather push it down the line keep your optionality uh maybe the pelicans don't bring back rondo and don't bring back cousins and next year they start out you know under 500 and at the deadline anthony davis wants out and right. now you're a team that has the things to do that potentially like depending on how Fultz looks and whatever. Um, and it doesn't even need to be him. It could be someone more on the Clay Thompson level or on the CJ McCollum level, but I don't need it to be this summer. Like you right. can wait and do that at the deadline. You're going to make the playoffs next year. Um, if you can get, pick someone up at the deadline, that's fine. They'll be there for the playoffs. Like I'm not in a huge rush. I, I completely agree. Um, Patrick Cahill asked, uh, what is our thought on Zach Lowe's report from this morning about moving the draft back to after free agency? Uh, I am like, kind of like the NFL does it. I'm fully with that. I think because it's I th cool. I think, yeah. I think, yeah, at a good a point. If you didn't uh, read the report, it's basically saying that people have discussed it for a while and talked about it because it's how they do it in both football and in, um, I believe in baseball, but like baseball, the draft is very different, but. Um, it's the idea is that free agency starts before the draft, which allows teams to basically better prepare for how they're going to spend their salary cap money, which should also spur more trades and just kind of bring more, you know, excitement, uh, and activity toward to draft night when it comes to trades. Like, I think they said it was like the first draft in a, a a good amount of years where no non-pick player was traded. It was all just swapping of picks and, and rights to players. There was no veteran that was moved at all on draft night. Mm -hmm. um, and this would spurn that all along. Plus, like, you know, for example, let's look at what the Sixers are doing, right? So the Sixers are trying to land LeBron James. Uh, one of the reasons you can argue that they traded back from 10 to 16 is they save themselves $1 million in cap space with that to give themselves more free space. If you could deal with all this stuff beforehand, then first of all, you know what you can do with that pick a lot more easily. And secondly, if you know you're going to strike out on LeBron and you don't really have interest in that, for, that future pick for a possible other trade, then you can just keep the 10 pick. 
You don't have to worry about saving that $1 million. And you can go in to the draft also with, say, say you're able to shed Jared Baylor or something like that. And you have a lot more space to do different things and maybe bring on another contract uh, for a veteran that will be moved around. It just, I think it brings a lot more flexibility and a lot more like active GMing to draft night other than just like, let's look at our big board and take the next guy on the list. Totally agree. I, I think for all those reasons you said, I also think it gets rid of that awkward thing that happens every once in a while where a team makes a trade that financially works in 2018, but not the 2017, or works in the 2018-19 season, but not in the 2017-18 season. So you get into that thing like New Orleans Noel, where the Sixers trade for him on draft night. He puts on a Pelicans hat. Uh, everyone knows he's been traded. It's widely reported. And the only people who can't talk about it are the Sixers and like, the NBA and the Pelicans right. and have to yeah. pretend like they still have Nerlens Noel. Um, right. And that year it, it like, it was super weird. It lasted until like July 11th or something. Yeah. Something crazy, like three weeks after the draft. So it's just, it's just silly that it works like that. I think for all the reasons you said, it makes sense too. Yeah. Um, I thought this is a good one. And then I kind of want, this is our last question, but after that, I kind of want to talk a little bit more about Zaire Smith just because we didn't really get a specific question that I thought was like really got at what just what we think of him um, and kind of where we're at right now heading into five days before free agency. So let's do this last question and then let's kind of wrap up on like just our general thoughts a little bit. Sounds uh, good. Rick Schwartz asked, uh, in honor of Hoagie Fest, what is both of our starting five sandwiches? Um, and I, I took this question, I, I don't, I, this is how I want to answer it. I don't want to answer five Wawa hoagies because, to be honest, I have like three that I ever get. I don't really have that many takes beyond. If I would, I would sooner do a starting five Wawa items, including hoagies, or sure. top five sandwiches generally. Than I think I'd, I'd rather Wawa do top five sandwiches generally. Okay. Yeah, I like that too. Okay. So who's like leading up here? Who's the who's who's announced last? Who's who's the seven two center from Cameroon? I think my seven two center from Cameroon is is, is the buffalo chicken cheesesteak, man. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, the now, buffalo I chicken cheesesteak is my, oh, my 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 uh, my my max contract guy. Do you have any Do you have any thoughts? I have, I have a lot of thoughts on the buffalo chicken cheesesteak. Uh, well, there's a couple of different things. One is that that chicken better be goddamn chopped up. That's for sure. Uh, and it better have blue cheese in there, along with other cheese. What's your and thought? Have you have you ever the gotten the chicken? Have you ever gotten the chicken Diablo at uh, Primo? Yes. I, in my opinion, that is like the superior spicy chicken sandwich, but um, that's just me. It's that very similar true. in a lot of ways. It's breaded, which is different. Yeah. That's, my my yeah. problem with the buffalo chicken cheesesteak is there's so much. It can be so bad. Like, a cheesesteak is almost never bad. Like, it just is what it is if it's ah. not great. A buffalo chicken cheesesteak can be really terrible sometimes. All right. Well, like, my, for, if it's well, from the wrong place. I'm specifically talking about a good buffalo chicken cheesesteak. Okay. <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Um, I, guess I'll, I guess we'll go back and forth. Yeah. Uh, I'd probably go with the, uh, with the Reuben mm, as, yeah. as my number one. I think that's like... I, I so often find myself in a restaurant that has a Reuben, uh, debating between a ton of things. And then when the the server comes over, just picking the Reuben. Yeah. Especially if it comes with like sweet potato fries or a good side. I, I love yeah. a Reuben. Uh, I was, I do not like sweet potato fries, but I will say this, and this is not a lie. I was going to say Reuben next. 
You so were? I'll, wow. Yes. I will go with a Ruben. Well, what we need is like, um, we need one of those, th- one of the, this person who tweeted this should have done like, you have $15 to create your starting five. Like five chicken sandwiches. You got to choose one. Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah. So you got, so you got the Ruben. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is tough. Um, does like a cheeseburger count? Because I feel like a cheese, a good cheeseburger is like pretty high up there for me. If I would consider a cheeseburger its own category. Okay, that's fair enough. Because there are a lot of different types of burgers and stuff. Um, I might go with the tuna melt. I know that's Another that's an one. unconventional number two, but the tuna melt I really like, and that's probably my go-to at Wawa too. Yeah. I'm gonna go for my for my third one with the classic chicken parm. Ooh, chicken parm's really good. I think there's very few things you, that can beat a nice melty chicken parm on like a toasted seeded roll. I'm gonna go Italian number mm. three, just the classic. That's a good one. A good Italian, uh, especially yeah. I, that's my other Wawa staple too. A, a good Italian is is really good, but Wawa actually does the Italian pretty well. Yeah. I'm gonna throw a little bit of a, a little bit of a curveball here. For my my scrappy, yeah, my my scrappy, uh, gritty sandwich. I'm gonna go with a pork roll, egg and cheese on an everything bagel. Oh, okay. Oh, bagel? I don't know about that. It's a bagel sandwich, man. So what about like lox and cream cheese on a bagel? I'd call that a bagel sandwich. I don't know. You said burger isn't a sandwich, but bagel is a sandwich. Ba- bagel sandwich. Yeah, and I've never said was say, "Hey, let's get a burger sandwich." Come on, let's not. Come on, let's not do that here. Okay, fair enough. No. Uh, I'm gonna go number four. The unconventional. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go banh mi number four. Ooh, that's a good one. I love a good banh mi. Yeah, I think my last one, my my fifth one, would be your your classic, really well done grilled cheese sandwich. Mm. Yeah, I thought I thought about going grilled cheese with my last spot. I actually thought about it even earlier on, but then I had the other ones come up. Um, man, that's tough. That's really tough. Yeah, a bunch of different cheeses in there. A little side of tomato soup if you can to dip it in. Damn near unbeatable. And you're kind of selling me on the grilled cheese. Um, I think I have to go with the the old staple, which is another sandwich that I often find myself ordering at restaurants. After considering other things on the menu, I'm going to go with the BLT. Uh, mm-hmm. Specifically, though, I like a BLT with avocado on it. Ah, there you go. Yeah. I will say of, of the 10 sandwiches that we mentioned, well, nine, since we both have Rubens, um, the one that I probably eat the most, like just frequently, is one that you picked, which is the BLT. Mm. It's like a, a fairly a fairly common lunch thing for me. So of all of the ones you mentioned, I probably have a BLT the most, even though it's not even on my team. Yeah, I, I, I just think it's a great sandwich. There's a reason that it is such a staple. Oh, yeah, it's got a lot going for it. Um, okay, now that we're done with the sandwich talk, I like that a lot. Uh, yeah, that was a great question, actually. I enjoyed that. Yeah, let's talk about Zaire Smith a little bit. Now that we're 35 yeah. minutes into the podcast and have uh, done a power ranking of all our favorite sandwiches, mm-hmm. let's talk about the Sixers first-round draft pick from a week ago. Yeah, who, uh, as far as we know, and the way we do these podcasts, will probably not be a Sixer in like four days, just because this is how it always works with us. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, so 
I feel like we can't talk about him without first mentioning very briefly, because I think it's a very tired thing at this point, that they took, they originally used the 10th pick on what seemed like the safe, uh, some could even say boring pick in Macau Bridges. He was the guy. Um, he was the pick. The guy, yeah. And then, um, and I will say this too, and I, I, I made a note of it to the people I was watching the draft with when the trade went down, that earlier that day or maybe the day before that there was some report that came from somewhere i can't remember who it was that just said that the sixers were very high on zaire smith um and a lot of people talking about it then when that happened when that came out i think i saw a couple of people we know on twitter saying like yeah zaire's a good player and he's really interesting but like i don't know if they would take him at 10 and it turns out they didn't have to because they got another asset out of it as yeah. well um but so what do you what do you see in zaire um that kind of sets him apart from, let's say, your run-of-the-mill, like, really athletic, but not really much basketball-wise pro? I think the difference uh, between him and, like, some of the other high-upside, super-athletic guys who are drafted in the late lottery is that he already is... um, I wouldn't say elite. He's already a, a really nice defender, um, mm-hmm. He already has that part of his game down, and and not only because he's has long arms and is super athletic and can jump the lanes and stuff, but he just has good technique and tries really hard and right, you know, chases down guys for blocks, stays in position, switches really well, seems to have like a high basketball IQ on that side. So to me, like, I think because it's defense, we don't think about it. We don't think about him as as polished as he is. But one side of the ball, he's pretty polished already, has a ton of upside. Um, Offensively is is pretty raw and, you know, showed some promise as the season went on with Texas Tech, um, looked really good in the tournament. There was some talk uh, around the Sixers that, like, he really impressed in the workouts and did some things that they had been concerned with, like, during the season. I think some of his weaknesses when they got him in the gym and, and worked him out showed a little bit more proficiency with the ball in his hands, shooting off the dribble. Um, and and the, I think that's the part that's most exciting to me is he, so he turned 19 earlier this month. Um, the way he's talked about and some stories that have been written about him, he has like almost like a Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard kind of attitude and like approach to preparing and like getting better. That makes me feel more confident that he can figure those things out in a way that mm-hmm. similar to how Kawhi Leonard did when he came in right. as a more raw offensive player and really developed that part of his game um so it's pretty exciting i guess to have a guy who i think will come in and like immediately play a a role defensively off the bench um he's super athletic i think he'll benefit from like having ben simmons and hopefully markel fultz and maybe lebron james uh throwing passes to him um i think he's a good cutter he obviously is a great like finisher on oops and in transition I think he'll really benefit playing on this team, and I think like as a defensive specialist for now, and hopefully, um, you know, he shot forty five percent from three, but it was on not that many attempts last year, and I think most people expect he will be a at least his first season an average at best three point shooter. But if he can like speed up, the biggest thing was that he was pretty mechanical and slow with his release, um, and had to be pretty open to, to take a shot. So if he can clean that up a little bit, speed it up and be like even a 34, 35% three-point shooter, I think that's really big. And kind of the role I see for him, 
he's different because he's more athletic, not as stocky, and I think he has more upside. But it's kind of in the way like Marcus Smart, the role he plays for the Celtics, where he mm-hmm. plays like a decent number of minutes off their bench, but really is like their defensive energy and identity and can yeah. hit an open three. That's like my hope for him this season. Yeah, I, I think yeah he's very raw offensively, and we'll have to see how that develops. But like you know, I I have a lot of faith in the Sixers' ability to develop players. Um, but what excites me about his defense is that uh, he is a great on-ball like one-on-one defender, right? Where like mm-hmm. Robert Covington is someone who's more of like a team defender, and even someone like Paul George is someone who's more of like a team defender, right? Where He's not going to like come up to you and like and just like strip the ball out of your hands on a dribble, but he's going to play the passing lanes and and be able to kind of play you know get get in the position stuff like that that way. But it's a lot sexier to have like that that like skilled one on one defender like a Kawhi is or even like a Marcus Smart is there where he's just going to give you problems and cause you to make mistakes and just honestly probably just take the ball from you a bunch and like you said get these chase down blocks and and get these putbacks on offense just from having great timing and great kind of IQ of where to be and, and where the ball's going to bounce off the rim. And, and, you know, you look at stuff like that, like athleticism, right? So you see these he jumping up and getting all these put-back dunks and stuff like that. And, like, yeah, that's a lot of that's athleticism. But a lot of that is just, like, really great instinct and IQ, too, because you can jump as high and run as fast as you want, but you got to be in position. you got to time it all right, and you got to be there at the right time. And that shows a lot more than just being able to jump high. So that shows me a lot of, of that he – mentally is in a, in a great position already and a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me say that that you know his floor might be lower but his ceiling is is compared to a lot of players in his draft is pretty damn high so i trust them yeah and even if, even if the offense doesn't come around like your hope for him is that defensively he can develop into someone i mean this is like a, a big ask i guess for him but like you think of like tony allen somebody who played shooting guard could defend like three positions realistically uh if got if they got caught on a power forward could like hold their own but somebody yeah. who despite offensive limitations was still valuable or like Andre Roberson just like valuable because they are a multi-positional defender and super athletic and can you know uh, he has that kind of attitude it seems almost like like Allen or like Patrick Beverly where he's just like so up in your face defensively right. and like able to to really get around screens and just like seems so solid defensively watching watching yeah. tape of him um so i'm pretty excited about that i mean i love mikhail bridges i think mikhail was like seventh on my board or six on my board um zaire was like 13th um but the fact that they picked up the extra pick i think is really valuable and i think zaire smith like i, I guess i tweeted this but i think it makes me feel a lot better that this was a brett brown pick uh Versus yeah. a Brian Colangelo pick, and that's not because I think Brian Colangelo like couldn't evaluate talent or whatever. Just that if Brett Brown drafted this guy thinking I'm going to be able to turn him into something, and specifically he told Zaire Smith like that he sees some Kawhi Leonard in him. Like if Brett Brown sees that and thinks he can do that, and with his track record of developing players, like I believe it. With Zaire Smith's you know drive and uh, raw talent and athleticism, like. If Brett Brown thinks he can turn him into turn him into that, I'm I'm sold. Yeah, I mean, plus, how many years have I've I, I've been asking for like a cheaper, younger Pat Beverly? Yeah. So if you can get anything close to that, I'm happy. Yeah, and I I think it's it, I could see him coming in too. Like, I don't think it's outside the question just because of how quickly he he's risen. Like, he was a 
not even a top 100 high school prospect coming into Texas Tech um, as a recruit. Um, really blew up as the season went along. Was solid all year, but like towards the end of the year, really showed a lot and and um, you know put up some big games at the end of the year. I, then he really like it sounds like you know not just in the Sixers workout, but really impressed teams in the workouts. Like there's two ways that goes. Either a guy gets overdrafted like Anthony Bennett because he really impresses teams in the workouts and, you know, looks like a physical freak and has so much potential. Or it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a Donovan Mitchell situation where, Oh wow. You got a guy like in the mid lottery or mid mid teens who, you know, kind of peaked at the right time. And you got him right before teams really saw that. Right. Um, so that excites me a little bit too. Like I wouldn't be shocked if he came in this year, not doing what Donovan Mitchell did because he's a totally different player, but just being a very solid contributor on the team, like as a 19 year old rookie. Yeah. Which is like you really asked for. Yeah. Um, I guess final thing, like what are your, what are your thoughts? We're, we're a few days away from free agency. It's June 26th. It opens on July 1st. Like where are you at right now? Like, what are you thinking is the, the, percent chance that they get someone do you think it's in a trade do you think it's lebron or pg like what what do you kind of think happens at this point i think lebron goes to the lakers i think paul george either joins him in la or stays in oklahoma city and then i think if paul george doesn't go to the lakers then a Kawhi deal is worked out there if paul george does go to the lakers then Kawhi is traded somewhere in the east and Basically, I guess they just try to do their best to keep him around and convince him to stay there instead of going somewhere else. It's the least fun outcome, but it seems like the most realistic to me. Yeah, I, I think that's true, too. I'm, I'm feeling more and more like LeBron's not coming. I think it would be like... I think all the buzz has been around L.A. recently, and... Even if he doesn't go there, I, th- I still feel like Houston's a better option for him. Um, I feel like Philly's, I feel like Philly's better than LA, but for some reason he's interested in playing in LA. So if it's between us and Houston, let's say I think Houston's just the better choice for him in a lot of ways. And um, I don't think we're getting Paul George. I think that's like pretty much out the window. I think he's either going to LA or he's staying in Oklahoma City for the extra money. Yeah, and I think that was kind of those were kind of always the only two options. Yeah, and I think the other thing is with Kawhi, what I'm I'm hoping for at this point, what I'm kind of seeing as a as a possibility, is that he says he doesn't want to come, like he's not going to play for the Spurs this year. He wants out. He wants to sign with LA next year, just like we saw with Paul George. It was the exact same situation last year. My hope is that the Spurs, not wanting to trade him to the Lakers, not wanting to trade him into the West, ideally. Look at the Sixers as a team. You have the Brett Brown connection with Popovich um, and with Kawhi Leonard, for that matter, that maybe they trade him to the Sixers, and your hope is that it is a, like, Robert Covington-Dario Saric trade for him and with the knowledge that he's probably not coming back, kind of like what Paul George was last year. It was Sabonis and it was Oladipo, and that was at a time when Oladipo was, you know, Right. Kind of like a Jordan Clarkson kind of guy. Like he, I, There was a point in his career where he thought he was turning a corner, then he kind of stagnated. Then obviously he became the most improved player in the NBA, um, but not at the time of the deal. That wasn't what you were thinking of. Like That to me, if it was, let's say, Covington and Sharich and like some other throw-in, uh, 
onstage Pistechniks or whatever. Um, that to me would feel like, okay, even if he doesn't come back, I'm okay with that. Like that's a gamble I'm worth that, that I'm right. willing to take for one year of Kawhi, knowing that just like the thunder you get to next year, all of a sudden he's looking at, at the money and seeing like, wow, I can get a lot more money staying in Philly and this team probably if he's there, like just competed for either a trip to the finals or made it to the finals. Um, you know, I, I, I bet on that, I guess. I bet on Brett Brown and, yeah. and, and all those other factors keeping him in Philly in the same way that we're, you know, we at the time we thought the Thunder, this is a one-year rental. There's no way he comes back. And now people are like, oh, yeah, Paul George might resign. It's like a lot of money to give up to go to L.A. Yeah. And and worst case, maybe you, you do a sign-in trade next summer. Like he says, no, I really right. want to play in L.A., but I want the extra money. And all of a sudden you're doing a sign-in trade and getting Brandon Ingram or something, and you kind of recoup some of the value. So. Yeah. That, that's kind of, I guess, where I'm seeing things at this point. My hope is LeBron comes. I'm just not as sold as I was like a month ago on that. Just that now that L.A. is in the mix, I'm a little more concerned. Um, yeah. It seems like that's just where that's where the river is flowing. Yeah. It's weird, though. I'm, I'm surprised. I'm surprised he'd do that just because of the East-West thing. I just really thought he was going to stay in the East. Like, he could legitimately go to like a dozen straight finals if he stays in the East. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's also worth pointing out that you could very easily say that there's no, there was no timeline or reality where Paul George went to either the Lakers or the Sixers because he can't wear number 13 in either of those cities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping we're wrong. I'm hoping that we do an emergency podcast in like a week about LeBron James signing with the Sixers. Um, yeah. Or a Kawhi trade. I, I, at this point, I'm thinking the Kawhi trade's the most likely of the three things. I think Paul George is almost a zero percent chance when he comes to Philly. I'd I say think, like, and uh, yeah, I think it's Paul George probably zero. I'd say LeBron is like fifteen. Fifteen twenty. Yeah. yeah, maybe. Yeah, and then I'd say the Kawhi, Kawhi trade is like somewhere between like twenty and twenty-five. Yeah, that that sounds about right to me. Yeah. Um, and I think if they don't get it, it's like we said earlier. If they don't get it, my, my thought is you just. Do the same thing you did this past year. Um, you sign JJ Redick to a one-year deal, or maybe you sign him on a longer deal with like, uh, if he's willing to sign like a three-year deal for thirty-five million or something. Maybe you just lock yourself into that, um, right? Because that's good money, um, and you can that's tradable money too if you need to. But um, that's kind of the ideal. You then don't have to move Bayless. You can just let him wither away. Maybe you negotiate some sort of buyout. Um, and and then you you hopefully sign like better versions of Amir Johnson and maybe you bring back Bellinelli and and Ilyasova or better versions of them, and then yeah. you and then you just play the long guy the long game. You hope Fultz comes back looking good and maybe if he does, you don't even really need that extra piece. Like you have right. your three, you have all the pieces around them that you have. You have the picks, you have cap space to sign other veterans. Like you might be okay, but even if even if you are okay, like. Maybe the deadline comes around and Anthony Davis is on the block, and now you're trading Markel Fultz and the Miami pick for him if Markel Fultz right. is good or whatever it is. Like, I don't mind if if they don't get one of those three guys, just let it roll over and just see what happens next year. See what happens in January when somebody wants out, and yeah. you know that's fine. I mean, the guy said this it would a, suck, but it would be okay. Yeah, this is a 52 win team where, you know. You, you say probably J.J. Reddick is probably one of their four best players this past year, but 
three of the three of the other four were 24 or younger, then you hope Markel Fultz puts it together a little bit, and he's still what 20. So you have still plenty of time to grow with this core of people, and the only one you're actually even really paying right now is Joel Embiid. So yeah. the the flexibility isn't gone. Uh, obviously, you have to plan ahead better when it comes time to pay Ben Simmons and Dario Saric, and if you want to move those guys around, and you got to look towards who's available in free agency in the future and who could come up available in trades. Um, so you have to play the smart game, but your flexibility isn't gone. The window doesn't close. Um, yeah, I just don't think you know. It's if you don't if you strike out on Kawhi and LeBron and Paul George, there's just no reason to panic. No, I, I don't think there's any reason to panic. And I look at like like Liberty Ballers. Shout out to them because this is really well done. They did like an all basically like everyone the Sixers could target in free agency this year breakdown, um, and like what they think they'll like what their estimated salary is going to look like. A little blurb about them, and you know as I look at the list, it's like yeah, there are some names out there. Like Tyreek Evans would be nice on like a one year deal where you throw money at him so he comes and you know let the, the money roll over or like um just going down the list like uh gerald green or something or uh nick young michael beasley like jeremy grant bringing him back like i'd be okay with any of those things i just don't want to lock up any money any money that could be bad like right if you yeah. want to give Reddick three years, thirty million, I'm pretty confident that's not going to be bad next year. Like ten million a year right. for Reddick for two years. If you had to trade him next year because um, you're able to play the free agency game next season, like cross that bridge when you get there, that's fine. What I don't want to do is throw an offer sheet at uh, Zach Levine, let's say, right. for like twenty million a year, or eighteen million a year, fifteen million a year, even. And potentially be in a situation like, uh, you know, you have with Fournier in Orlando or you have with um, with uh, Alan Crabb. You know, it's like I don't want right. to be in that situation because that's the, that's the yeah. one way you mess this up is by throwing money by by throwing um, by throwing money at, at a at a problem and, and hoping that like you you know, you strike out on the big guys. So you throw money at, at a restricted guy or someone else and hope it pans out. And I just, I, I just think that's the one way you fuck this up is by, uh, locking yourself in. Like you want to just maintain optionality basically. If you, if you that's, strike that's out. also, that's also a way where you can completely devalue that 2021 heat pick, because if you start locking in bad money and then you have to get rid of that person because you want to do other things, then that pick all of a sudden becomes, what you attach to a shitty contract to move it. Totally. Yeah. Um, I think that's about it. So we'll, we'll come yeah. back if there, if anything big happens, we'll probably do something. Uh, otherwise kind of just recapping for agent. I mean, they're, they're going to do something like, yeah, they'll either sign one of those guys or make a trade or it's just going to be like Reddick. I think it'll be Reddick pretty certainly if that happens. And then, Probably not Amir Johnson, but probably someone like like probably a few guys like Amir Johnson, um, right? Which wouldn't be terrible. Like if you were able to give this team like just a better supporting cap, basically what it had after the deadline when you got Marco Bellinelli and Ilyasova, like that'd yeah. be fine if you could just fill yeah. it out a little bit better than you did last year. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon.
Yeah, thanks, guys. Hey, everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. My name is Bill Matz. I am the director of Fun and Games for Broad Street Hockey Radio Podcasts. And I am Kelly, the deputy managing editor of BroadStreetHockey.com. I'm Steph Driver, the NHL editorial manager for SB Nation. And I am Charlie O'Connor, lead Flyers writer for TheAthletic.com. And together we make up BSH Radio, one of the shows that you get at the SB Nation podcast family. We have a lot coming to you this year, and we want you to listen to our show. It is just an all-flyers, all-the-time show, so much content. I really hope you listen to it. It is a great piece of the SB Nation podcast family, along with all your other favorite sports. We all love hockey, specifically the Flyers. Let's go the Flyers. The hockey team, the Flyers. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.